Will the congregation please open with me in your Bible to the book of Romans, chapter 8, specifically verse 37, Romans 8, 37. Please join with me in prayer. Lord God Almighty, our Father, which is in heaven, O blessed Son and powerful Spirit, we come before Thee, O Lord, our God. We ask for Thy help, both for me as Thy servant to preach Thy word, And for all of us, including myself, to hear thy word preached, that would be applied to our hearts. That thou, Holy Spirit, would convict, encourage, exhort, build up in faith, and apply the word which is preached. Lord, that we would seek thee in the hearing. The Lord rebuke Satan in taking the good word from us. Give us faith to give attention to that which we hear. Being careful in all that we hear, that we might profit therefrom. Help us to see Christ, especially in this time, to see Christ. O Jesus, that we might worship Thee Run to thy feet, trust in thy work and in thy person, all the more. For without thee we can do nothing, O Lord. We need thy help. We desire thy help. We look to thee alone. Thy cross, what thou hast done, We love thee, O Lord. We praise thee. We lift all these prayers up to thee in thy name. Amen. Amen. Dear congregation, during the English Reformation, there was a couple of moving scenes that I think illuminate for us the kind of victory that we have in Jesus Christ. There was a man towards the very beginning who got a hold of the Lord's Prayer in English. It was banned at that time to have any portion of Scripture in the English language, under King Henry. He taught that prayer to his family. People got word of it. The authorities, the church authorities came to him, and the church and civil authorities were one and the same at that time, and said, have you learned the Lord's Prayer in English, and have you taught it to anyone? He lied, and he said, no, I have not. They left. He was so ridden with guilt so humbled by the sin that he had committed that he repented before the Lord and he said, whatever I do, O Lord, help me to never sin like that again. And in fact, I will make it right. He went to the authorities after that and said, 
I have learned the Lord's Prayer in English, and I have taught it to my children and my wife, and I will continue to teach it to many more people. With what hope, with what solid faith could he have done such a thing? Another scene, a man during the English Reformation, a preacher preaching the gospel, had many children and a wife. He's finally taken captive. The date of his execution for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ is set. And as he's led through the town, there's his family, his church. Those who he pastors are lining the street. And his children are crying out, Father, Father, Father. And it is said that he didn't even look one way or another. He only looked to the stake in front of him and marched triumphantly to the stake where he was burned. With what hope can a human being do such a thing? There are countless, countless stories like that, some even more heart-wrenching, through not just the Reformation, but all throughout church history. Even today, it is still happening. But we look at that founding of the church, primitive Christianity, where these people went to the stake, they went to the cross, they went to lions, they went to beheadings. Not just in faith, but rejoicing, rejoicing. Even in the book of Acts, the apostles rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer for the name. How did this happen? Where could we find something like this? How could we do something like this? To have such faith, unmovable, unshakable. To have such power and authority and boldness. From whence does it come? Look at what the Apostle Paul says. You don't have to turn there. But in 2 Corinthians 11, he says this in verse 21. I speak as concerning reproach as though we had been weak. Howbeit, Whereinsoever any is bold, I speak foolishly, I am bold also. Are the Hebrews? So am I. Are the Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths oft. Of the Jews five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once I was stoned. Thrice I have suffered shipwreck, a night and a day I have been in the deep, in journeyings often in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils by mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, Besides those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. Who is weak, and I am not weak? Who is offended, and I burn not? If I must needs glory, I will glory of the things which concern mine infirmities. That same apostle in Philippians 1 says, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith, of, faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's faith. It's faith in Christ. We have great hope. Now, in Romans, where we are, 
We look at this in verse 24. That St. Paul saying, For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. There's a hope that burns within a Christian. A solid foundation, an anchor of the soul, a boldness, a faith that overcomes, that can lead a man, that can lead a woman unto glory, that can lead a man through the flame, persecution, peril, toil. But there's a difference here in this hope. When we think of hope, oftentimes, when I do, I think of a horrible circumstance that a person could be going through and think to themselves and pat one another on the back and say, it will be all right. And that is hope, and we have that in Christ. But it is not a passive hope that simply is assured that things will be okay and God's will shall be done. It is a triumphant and victorious hope that goes forward to conquer for Christ and establish his kingdom here on earth. And to preach the gospel. And goes forward boldly to the stake. And to the pulpit. And to the marketplace. And to the workplace. As Christians. That is hope that is triumphant. Though we hope for something that we do not yet see. That we do not yet possess as Christians. Yet this hope is tangible. Is real. Is fervent. Is true. It is not simply that we know things are going to be okay. They are in God's timing and in God's hand and providence and his care for us, yet more so. It is hope that pushes us forward unto victory. He leads us forward in procession and victory. Our Christ does. He's the chief and the captain of our salvation. Despising the shame, he took upon himself the cross. And we too follow in like manner, looking at those who've come before us and those who are around us in the faith. For encouragement, the faith, the faith to believe, the faith to conquer the foes, the faith to go forward. We are in perilous times, and like all Christians, hasn't really been times that haven't been perilous. But there is no place for us for fear or anxiety. In First Peter chapter 5, the Apostle Peter says this, Verses 6 and 7. He says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Our Jesus says something similar in the Sermon on the Mount, does he not? About not caring and being anxious for the things of the world. For he knows what we need. Our Heavenly Father knows what we need before we even ask for it. So what are we to do? Well, in verse 8. We are to be sober, vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. So knowing that we have no reason for fear or anxiety in moving forward in this world, regardless of what political circumstances are going on, regardless of what church is falling away, what papacy is ruling over the land, we have no reason for fear or anxiety. But that doesn't mean we just sit back. No, we are sober and vigilant. We are watching, patiently, looking by faith in God, humbling ourselves before him so that he may exalt us in due time. Humbling ourselves, casting all our fear and anxiety on him. 
It's not passive hope. It's hope that moves forward. It's vigilant hope. Looking not in the sand, sticking one's head in the sand, but moving forward in Christ. Moving forward in vigilance against all three of our enemies. Sin, that's the closest bosom one. Satan from without and the world. Christians have always been persecuted, misunderstood by the world. When Christians are generally left alone and respected by society, usually something is wrong or it is the calm before the storm. We should be nipping at the heels of the world. They should be annoyed with us because we preach Christ, not because of our conduct, because we preach Christ. And that stands in opposition to this present evil age, does it not? So when we preach Christ, we move forward against our threefold enemy. As Christians, we do believe our Lord's words. He says in John 16, 33, In this world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. We know by faith, by history, and by experience that the Apostle Paul was indeed correct in Philippians 1, 29, For unto you it, has been, it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. To suffer for his sake. Doesn't mean we go out seeking su- and, and seek to suffer and want to suffer. By no means. By no means. And we see even in the early church the boldness that they originally had. That they didn't care if they were persecuted. They knew that to die was gain. They knew that to be put to the sword was gain. They were merely a sheep for the slaughter. Yet it became almost unbalanced. And it did become unbalanced where people were wanting to be persecuted. They were wanting to be martyred. It became a crown uh, and, and misplaced. But it has been given to us not only to believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, but also to suffer for his sake. That we shall and do actually suffer as believers for Christ's sake is beyond dispute. Even if it's just small ways, churches being shut down by governments, people's heads being chopped off in other countries while they're in church or whatever. There's all sorts of ways persecution does and has come, and that's beyond dispute. But we do not suffer, as Paul says in 1 Thessalonians, as those who have no hope. As those who have no hope. Rather, we endure hardships, as Paul says, as good soldiers of Christ Jesus, our Lord, looking to him, and I to our captain, not to our circumstances. In fact, we not only endure We are even, as our text says before us, more than conquerors. Let us read Romans 8, starting in verse 35. The Apostle Paul writes, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, For thy sake... We are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. That triumphant passage, Romans 8. That triumphant last section. And specifically the verse 
37. And all these things, we are more than conquerors. So what does that mean? Let's look at three aspects. Number one, who overcomes? Who it is that overcomes? Second, what it is that they conquer? And what they are more than conquerors? And number three, how it is that they conquer? So who conquers? Who is more than a conqueror? The Apostle Paul says, we. We are more than conquerors. We, sinners. We, previously rebels against God. We, misguided, often doubting, often denying the Savior whom we trust in, who has redeemed us. We are more than conquerors. What a fascinating, what a powerful statement laid before us by the Apostle Paul that we, these great sinners, could be the ones who overcome. And we've seen this throughout history. We see this in our own life. When temptations befall us, we can overcome. We can come boldly to the throne of grace and receive mercy to help in time of need. That we know in tribulation, whatever is going on, we can endure. We can set our eyes on Christ. And we overcome. We overcome. We march steadily forward. Singing, praising, meditating on, and trusting in Christ. The word guiding us. It is a lamp unto our feet. It guides us. We set our eyes on Christ. Not on our circumstances, and certainly not on ourselves. Because if there was ever anyone, I know this myself, who could lose salvation if it was given to him, it's me. But our salvation is not in our hands. It is in our blessed Savior's hands. Who has done the work for us. And we'll get into that. I'm getting ahead of myself. But we are the ones that overcome. We. Now what is it that they conquer? This is the second point. What is it that they conquer? Well, he lays it out in the previous verses. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. So tribulation, what is tribulation? It is from without. It is a pressing down upon, the word intimates. It is the culture around us, possibly. This tribulation that we are shaken, that we are pressed down on, that we are compacted, that we are pressed up against by the culture. Tribulations going around us. The world stands in opposition to us. That is tribulation. The governments might stand in opposition to us. Other churches, there's Satan stirring up strife and division in local churches and in the church, Catholic, universal. That's a tribulation that is endured. It's a pressing on from without to get us to deny, to get us to leave off our, our faith to get us to get our eyes off of Christ but in that we overcome we overcome that even we overcome these tribulations from without because again we have God's word guiding us we have Christ and the Holy Spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God and as, as his children we follow him as his sheep we hear his voice and we follow after none shall snatch us from his hand None. So tribulation certainly can't separate us from the love of Christ, no matter how it is used by the world or by Satan to try and do so. It shall not separate us. We overcome even in tribulation. Distress. 
What is distress? It intimates something inward. This is from without, tribulation. Distress is inward, a mental faculty. Something in our emotions. The distress we feel. The despondency of soul, you could say, is that distress. And oftentimes, tribulation from without will cause us much inward turmoil and distress. Who knows the paralyzing effect of anxiety? Who knows the paralyzing effect of depression? Who knows the paralyzing effect of doubt? That's a distress. That's something that casts us down in the dirt. Something that makes us feel as if it were better to die than anything else. Even Jesus Christ, our great high priest, our great captain of our salvation, endured distress in the garden. Let this cup pass from me. Oh, my father, he prayed. That distress, that despondency of soul, that being laid in the dust. Psalm 22 has a prophecy of the Messiah to come and David himself feeling that same way. My, the tongue, my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. I'm laid in the dirt. The lions are about me. They rip and bite and snare at my legs and my hands. They pierce my hands and my feet. They mock. That's certainly a distressing time, isn't it? Certainly a distressing time. And this outward tribulation often flows into inward distress and makes us feel that we are separated from Christ. But the Christian overcomes in this as well. That though for a time we might be despondent, the true Christian, by the grace of Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, is always picked back up, lifted back up. Being humbled, he is then exalted. He is then exalted. What is that next section we come to? Famine and nakedness. You can take those together. Famine and nakedness. In this time, remember Romans, being written to the Romans. Paul's writing to them. There's persecution of the Christians. Christians have to flee even today. They run. They flee. They're driven out of jobs. They're driven out of home. And experience famine. Experience nakedness and peril and sword. But in famine and nakedness, their own, the very means by which they may purchase food, may purchase clothing, is taken from them. So even when our house is gone, our possessions are gone, our own clothing even is gone. Yet we are not separated from Jesus Christ. Now we hope and we pray that something like that would not happen here anytime soon. That such persecutions will not come upon us. Such outward tribulations will not come upon us. That we are left in famine and nakedness and fleeing from one place to the next, wandering as those without a home. However, our brothers and sisters, even now in this world, are are enduring such hardships, are enduring famine and nakedness. And even that, they are not separated from Christ. The love of Christ is not off of them because they are enduring hardship. And I, I sense that much of the well, prosperity gospel that we saw so many years ago is starting to wane in our time. And I rejoice for that. Because it cannot stand up to what is happening now in our country. It, hold, it held no water then and it, it holds no water now. But especially it's being manifest that this can do no good. That is not true. Who, who, who like John the Baptist... 
Jesus Christ himself said, there's none that have been born of women greater. His faith, we see his faith, his preaching, his shunning of worldly riches and worldly prosperity. Yet, he was clothed in camel's hair. He ate honey and locusts. He was imprisoned and beheaded. That doesn't seem like health, wealth, and prosperity, does it? No. So famine, nakedness may come upon us. And for Paul, writing to the Romans, it was a very true reality. Something that's very possibly could happen the next day after they read this passage. Even that, dear Christian, do not be deceived. That shall not separate you and is not being separated from Christ. They're not equated at all. Christ's love goes beyond that. And does not equal that his love, his hand, his favor is off of us. Quite the opposite in many cases as we see in Scripture. He goes on. Peril. Peril. As we read in 2 Corinthians 11. He was in constant peril. Meaning there's, there's death on the door at all times. There's an opportunity to die and perish in some perilous situation constantly. No matter what is around him. No matter what is around us. We can with Paul say peril shall not separate us from Christ. Peril shall not separate us from God. So even if things get really bad, we have no reason to fear. Even peril. Even the possibility of death constantly following after us like a roaring lion. Like a prowling wolf seeking to destroy us. Seeking an opportune moment to take us down. Even in that situation, we have no reason to fear No reason to have anxiety because our one hope is this, that we are Christ and he is ours. We belong to him. He is our God. Jeremiah 31, the blessings of that new covenant. That he has written his law upon our hearts and we are his people and he is our God. And Christ has come and made us truly his own. Look at Philippians. Philippians chapter 4. You hear this section quoted a lot in football games. Wrongly. Verse 11 of chapter 4, Paul says this. Not that I speak in respect of want, meaning I need something, I want something, I'm lacking something. For I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Wow. That goes a long way when read in its proper context. Mm. That famine, nakedness, or peril, no matter. To live is Christ. And to die is gain. I've learned in every circumstance I am in to be content therein. Because Christ enables me to endure whatever hardship I have. And endure whatever prosperity I have. And that last one, sword. Even the death that comes to Christians. Even the man marching to his own stake. 
John Preston, the great Puritan, would often say, O death, next to Christ thou art my best friend. Because it would usher him into the presence of Christ. It would usher him into the presence of Christ. And so even the sword, we can say, to live is Christ, to die is gain. For I will be with him bodily. The deathbed of a Christian, if you study the people of the past, the men, women in the past in church history, very fascinating study to do, to look at the deathbeds of Christians. Especially ones that might have had so much turmoil and angst and anxiety previously in their life. They're always very tranquil and faith-filled on their deathbed. Oh, that I would be such. And that you would as well. That we would see Christ even when the sword is upon us. Even if we're thrown in jail and rot. We see in the Acts of the Apostles. These guys were insufferable to the authorities. They're out there preaching. They bring them in. Speak no more in this name. Beat them. They go out at rejoicing. They keep preaching. They throw them in prison. No matter. They'll sing hymns until all the jailers are converted. They throw them in again. Angel lets them out. Continue preaching. No matter what circumstance Paul, Peter, the other apostles were in, they preached Christ. They kept their eyes set on Jesus Christ, their hope. And they knew that they would preach Christ and Him crucified. They would know nothing else but Christ and Him crucified because He is all their hope. Three, how? How they conquer. How do we become more than conquerors? How is it that we are more than conquerors? Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him. Through Him that loved us. We've been constantly pointing to this. What does that mean? Through him. In battle, in a war, when one side conquers another. In a boxing match, when one opponent conquers another. They have bruises all over their body afterwards. When an army conquers another army, a nation, another nation. There is a great cost associated. They have the great prize of victory, but... They also paid a great cost, no matter how small. In this, dear Christian, when we are more than conquerors, there is no cost that we pay at all. No cost. It's all on Him, on Christ. He has paid the full cost. To live as Christ, to die as gain. So through Him, we are more than conquerors. In Him, we are more than conquerors. It is what He has done. We only benefit from the covenant of grace. We only benefit from what Christ has done for us. That's amazing. So no matter what hardships we endure, no matter what peril, nakedness, famine, anything that comes upon us in this life, we come out the other end, not just as the conqueror, but more than conquerors because we come out unscathed. 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 More than conquerors. In 1 John... 5.4 He says this The Apostle John For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world So see it's rooted in God working, not man For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world And this is the victory that overcometh the world Even our faith 
Our faith is what overcomes the world. So our faith in him. We are more than conquerors in him who has loved us. In demonstrating his love for us, he has made us more than conquerors. Because he paid the full price and not us even one mite, one penny, nothing. Fully paid. Mm -hmm. Fully free. The free gift of God. Salvation. It's eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. John 10. John 10 and verse 28. Jesus Christ says this. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. He's speaking about his sheep, believers. I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father, which gave them me, is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my hand. It's in him we overcome. The being plucked out of the hand, or the inability for it to even happen, is not in us. It's not our clinging on to the hand of God. It's not our clinging on to Christ that saves us, but Christ clinging on to us. Amen. It's all of free grace, dear Christian. And if this is our one hope, this is our one boast in life, our faith in Christ, then no matter what happens to us, do we want those things to happen to us? Of course not. We pray, God, that the things that are happening to our brothers and sisters throughout the world now, different places, and that we've seen in the past, does not happen here to us. It will be very bad. I pray it does not come. But whatever may come, whatever temptation befall us, Christ is our stay. Christ is our hope. Christ should be our focus. Because it's all free. And if we continue to have our mind more and more set upon Jesus Christ, more and more set upon eternal life and the world that is to come, we shall overcome this world, this present evil age. Simple faith. It's a simple. So who overcomes? The man of faith. The believer. That means the greatest theologian, sure, who understands the intricacies of this. Hopefully that gives him more faith. But even the most simple of believers, to believe that I know that there is a Christ who saves and has come to save sinners. The thief on the cross. The doubting father, help thou mine unbelief. I believe. That alone is sufficient because it's what Christ has done. We offer nothing. Mm -hmm. We offer nothing whatsoever. So in overcoming, it is Christ. We look to him. He is the one who goes forward in the battle. He fights in the thickest and hottest parts of the battle. Not us. We pick up our cross and follow him. But as the old men would, used to always say, he carries the heaviest side. So though we overcome, it is only through Christ. Though we are more than conquerors, it is in him, not in ourselves. This is great hope that we are given. But remember, this hope is not passive hope. It is that too. It can be that too. And I hope that we all, when we go to our beds this night, can rest assured. Mm. He gives his beloved sleep. And we can have hope, knowing that things will be all right. But rising in the morning, in Christ, we must go forth in hope, knowing that this hope is victorious hope. 
It is the faith that overcometh the world. It is faith in Him who makes us, because He loves us, more than conquerors. So we have much work ahead of us. If we have breath in our lungs, there's work to be done. Amen. There's work to be done. And no matter what happens the next few months, it's going to be crazy no matter what. Mm-hmm. But such is the world. It contests. It fights. The world's going to be the world. And we must be the church. We must be Christians. Amen. Looking to him. Trusting in him. And moving forward in his purposes and his ways. Mm. Nay, dear congregation, we are more than conquerors through Christ that loved us. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, we once again come to thee as our Father. We look to thy Son, Jesus Christ. In him we are made more than conquerors, O Lord. Grant us more and more faith, O Lord, to trust thee, to serve thee, to love thee, and to go forth into this world in those different stations that thou hast placed each one of us as more than conquerors, as those who overcome by faith, not by the sword, those who endure the sword even by faith. Show us what our roles are, our duties are in the coming months, years, and the rest of our earthly lives that we might serve thee, bring praise and honor and glory to thy name. We thank thee, O Lord, for this Lord's day, this opportunity to worship thee and serve thee. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.